I'm gonna be making lots of these <sighs> noises because alcohol <laughs> it makes me really tired. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, I don't know what I'm gonna be doing with alcohol. I'm gonna find out. I think I should probably crack mine open. Uh-huh. I guess. All right. So, hello, welcome to backlist and chill. Yeah. Yeah. We we've got our backlist today. Mm-hmm. And we've got our chill. Uh, I'm gonna attempt to open. This is. Uh, so so you and I don't really drink. No, right? not really. Yeah. I grabbed a bottle that isn't a twist off and randomly or I didn't mean to. I thought, oh hey, look, it's a single bottle thing. I should be able uh-huh. to get that. I assume it'll be a twist off. I grabbed a can of a thing and then a bottle of a thing, not knowing you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I just looked at it and I'm like, oh no. And I'm at somebody else's house, so I had to go rummage through their drawers for Oh, bottle opener. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what I have is uh it's Bee Nectar Cider, and this is okay. the Dude's Rug, which is a big Lebowski reference. And it's cool, like, there's, like, a bowling ball with their little bee symbol on it, and then, like, the Dude's Persian Rug, and then, like, some pins, bowling pins down at the end and stuff. What made you decide to pick that up? Is it just the Lebowski stuff? Or? <laughs> well, I like, the, I like the big Lebowski. I hated the movie the first time I saw it, and then every time after, I liked it more and more, and it's weird like that. But it is a hard cider with tea and chai spices added. Interesting. Yeah, so I was like, I like cider, and I like chai. <laughs> this could be gross. Let's find out. So what are you drinking? I am drinking... The only thing that I can really drink for an extended amount of time, which is just some $5 vodka in a shit ton of orange juice. Okay, no, that's pretty good. So you've got a little screwdriver going on there. It's not little. It's in a travel coffee mug. So <laughs> You've got your travel, <laughs> your travel screwdriver. That's amazing. I'm one of those girls that Carrie Underwood makes fun of who can only drink fruity things. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, no, I'm fine with it. I'm cool. All right, so you're drinking yours. I'm going to try mine, see how it is. Oh, God, yeah, I'm like halfway through mine. What are you doing? (laughs) I don't know. I was just like "Mm, paying attention to what you were talking about. (laughs) Huh, that's weird. How is it? So like in the beginning, yeah, it like starts with cider and then it goes to chai. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then like... It's just kind of clovey at the end and cinnamony. Is it drinkable? Yeah, I'll drink this whole thing. All right. Got the end chill. Yep. So, you and I have have decided to do this here podcast again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited, you know, grump about books again with you. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, today we, we started as with Annette Curtis Klaus. This book here is The Silver Kiss. Hopefully anybody listening has read this. You know, our our little intro and whatnot should have encouraged you to check it out. Mm-hmm. I read this in like maybe three or four hours with like lots of little breaks in between. Wow. It's like 200 pages. Uh, how about you? How long did it take you to read this one? I started or when you messaged me and told me that we were doing this this weekend. Mm-hmm. So whatever day that was... <laughs> Friday, wait, maybe? Wait, wait. Are you sure it wasn't last night? No, it wasn't last night. You messaged okay. me before that. And I was like, oh, okay. I should probably read that book. Now, let me ask you. Yes. You probably have one of the earlier editions, right? 
Yeah, I've got the, let's see, so this one, if I check it out, it has the, the Cliff Nielsen cover on it with the, uh, you've got the character of Simon in his leather jacket in like the broken tree background with Zoe. You have the pretty one. Yeah, it's so pretty. Like I specifically got this one and it was like 10 cents plus shipping. Nice. Uh, so this one was printed in October 92, and the book came out September 1st, 1990. So I have a very old copy. Okay. Which one do you have? So I own the copy that you're talking about. However, I don't read physical books a whole lot anymore. So I borrowed it from the library, and the library had the sort of Twilight-looking reissue with the two Mm -hmm. leaves. I thought it was a really pretty cover, that one. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, But also inside this one are two short stories mm. that kind of bookend the original story. I forget what the one before Simon is, but I know that the second one's called The Christmas Cat. And I was going to ask you about that because yep. I see mentions of like, and he had a pet cat. And I'm like, where's this about pet cat? I don't see any pet cat in here. Where did you see that he had one? Summer review. I wanted to see what people were saying after finishing this. So some people were talking about his pet cat. And I'm like, I literally just read this book and I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. So that's uh, the first short story, which is uh, before the main story begins, which was very confusing, by the way. I started reading it and I was like... Wait, they put the short story in front of the book? Yes, because chronologically it takes place before the story proper. For obvious reasons. Yeah, so I was like, I don't remember the book starting this way. I don't even remember Simon's point of view. Like, where the fuck is Zoe? And then I realized that it was the short story, which is called uh, The Summer of Love, which is literally (laughs) just about Simon fucking around in San Francisco in the 70s, 60s, question mark. Okay. And adopting a cat, which... Trigger warning pet death. Drinks antifreeze and then dies. No. Uh, And then so the other short story is called The Christmas Cat. That's Mm -hmm. a Zoe story. It takes place two years after the end of the book. And it's about Zoe moving to San Francisco for school because her mom was there when she was young and really liked it. And because she uh, retconnedly remembers Simon mentioning that he spent (laughs) time in San Francisco. No, he did not. He did not. He did um, not. She decided to to go there to kind of see what it was about. And it's just about her on Christmas uh, settling into her new apartment and a cat begs to be let in and she lets the cat in. And it's really sweet, like briefly, because it's, it's despite how she kind of seems at the end of the story proper, this Zoe mm-hmm. in this short story is still two years later, like really mourning. She hasn't kissed anybody else since Simon. Like oh, wow. she's thoroughly not gotten over either her mom or Simon's death. So it's mm. it's a kind of interesting in that respect. But then the actual things that happen are that the cat comes in, she tries to feed it, the cat doesn't eat the food she gives it. The cat <laughs> No, the cat ghost walks into the portrait of Simon's no. family. No. And then she looks at the portrait and now there's a cat in the portrait. And then she has a dream. 
about Simon visiting her and holding the cat and saying, oh, this is the cat that I told you about. And then I never he, told you shit. Yeah. His, his dream, like, soliloquy to her was actually kind of sweet and kind of sad because it's basically him telling her, you need to move on from me and, and oh. us. But yeah, then she wakes up and there's a cat in the portrait. And I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? Just, what happened? What is this? A dream. That's so weird. So yeah, it, that, those are the two stories that kind of bookend my Silver Kiss reading experience. Huh, yeah, that's not part of my Silver Kiss reading experience. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was kind of excited to find one that takes place after, because that's interesting, you know, see what yeah. happens. Um, it was written like 10, 15 years after the actual book was written. So let's see what Klaus wants to do with this. And like I said, it was parts of it were sweet, parts of it were very silly. Yeah, I mean... It's it's neat that she did decide to make those two stories. I don't mm-hmm. think she's made short stories for any of her other work. I don't think so, no. I think it's because Silver Kiss is really the one that kind of a YA classic. Yeah, like looking at the back of this one, it, it won so many awards. Yeah. So it's like School Library Journal Best Book of the Year, ALA Best Book for Young Adults, ALA Quick Pick for Young Adults, Booklist Editor's Choice, and winner of the California Young Reader Medal. Yeah, it's like this is the kind of book that gets anniversary editions to get yeah. short stories. So, <laughs> yeah, which is funny because like Blood and Chocolate was always the one anybody ever talked about. I I never met anybody who talked about either of these books, so they were kind of equally Obscure, for obscure you? to me. Except that you know, obviously, Blood and Chocolate got the movie. So yeah, that yeah, we'll talk about that when we get to Blood and Chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I also wanted to mention so this was 1990, right? Which mm-hmm. means the book was probably written. Considering how, like, I would really like to know when she wrote this and like when it was edited, because usually it takes it, back in the you know back in the day, it would take a really long time for books to get out there. She actually did an interesting foreword at the beginning of the edition that I have where she oh, talked please, tell me. a lot about the process. So let me see. I flip back. She joined a writer's group and she basically wrote I this. the Tuesday night writer's group or something? Yes. She wrote this. This is actually an adaptation of a thing that she wrote when she was 15 that she kind okay. of revisited as an adult. And she wrote it while she was a librarian um and then let me see what does it say i don't know if she has a strict timeline except to say that she sent it out a couple times and it was rejected and then she got her job in in a library um and she sent it out again and they finally agreed to publish it um so i i get the feeling that it had probably been a year maybe a little little more maybe i mean i remember Back in the late 90s, sending stuff out to, like, agents and publishers and whatnot. And they might not get back to you for six months to two years, mm-hmm. depending. Now, this was published ultimately by Bantam Doubleday Dell Books for Young Readers, which is part of Random House, or which is now, what, Penguin Random House? Mm-hmm. So maybe they were faster on it, but let's assume the book was probably written in, like, 86, 87. Mm-hmm. Okay, it says she spent a year revising at least, and then started submitting it again. Okay, so chances are they accepted the book in 88, 
let's go with like this as a fast track kind of thing mm-hmm. like it definitely takes two years at least back in this time frame so like 88 she's writing she, she's accepted which means she's been sending it out for like a year so 87 and then revising for like a year 86 so she may have even written this in 1985 which this is just astronomically old <laughs> so old i was it's three so or i was old. negative three years old when she was i was positive three years old we have now aged ourselves and that's also to say that she had a lot of connections by the way to get this published like her, yeah. her writing group leader uh sent it to his editor and then she wrote for slj and she sent it to somebody who worked at slj and then moved on to a publishing house so like i mean it was on submission she says but ultimately when it got published it was through somebody she knew yeah and that, that probably was a fairly quick process when you look at that end of it it's which is always interesting to be like i'm out on a submission forever but then i met this one person who sent it to their agent who sent it to their publisher yeah bam done (laughs) (laughs) so yeah this is a another time fully for it's an old book that feels older it really does it just strictly from uh the way that the characters speak and interact with each other she also talks about living in england yep i picked up a lot of the english bits because she's she's from england i believe Yeah, and she moved to California. So the way that the characters talk and speak to each other... And the dad, very clearly English. Is very, very dated, even for 85, even for 90, when it was published. Like, Mm -hmm. these kids talk very old. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much strangeness between the friendships that Zoe has. It's, it's, yeah. (laughs) So, so let me check the blurb and then we'll keep moving forward because okay. I keep forgetting. Zoe is wary when, in the dead of night, the beautiful yet frightening Simon comes to her house. Simon seems to understand the pain of loneliness and death and Zoe's brooding thoughts of her dying mother. Simon is one of the undead, a vampire, seeking revenge for the gruesome death of his mother 300 years before. Does Simon dare ask Zoe to help free him from this lifeless chase and its insufferable loneliness? That's our blurb. Mm-hmm. One, this is kind of wrong. Like, that's kind of not the way I would blurb this. Uh, no, it, it skips some uh, stops along the way to yeah. <laughs> that end point. It, like, jumps us to a point where other shit's already happened as well. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the kind of emotional conclusion of that blurb is something that happens in the last chapter. <laughs> right? Kind of spoilers, actually. Yeah. So we start with, like, let's just skip the first, like, 50 pages. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> and just have him show up at her house. Okay. And he understands the pain and the loneliness and her brooding thoughts of her dying mother. That that's all. That's all true. And then, like, he's seeking revenge, but, like, he doesn't mention anything good there. And then, yeah, let's just skip to the end. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? Who who blurbed this? Well, I mean, you can see what they're doing, right? Because I've talked to our friend Catherine about this, who has her own podcast where yeah. she talks about vampire-related things. It's called Bloodsucking Feminist. It's very good. And they did an episode on the book that we're discussing today. But I asked her about this book versus another book that has vampires and Mm -hmm. cancer. Wait, there's another vampire cancer book? 
Yes, uh, the first book of L.J. Swift's Night World series has to do with vampires and cancer. Um, And I asked her how she thought they compared, and she said, well, one of them is a cancer book with vampires, and another one is a vampire (laughs) book with cancer. I'm going to guess this is a cancer book with vampires. This is a cancer book with vampires, and I think that's what that blurb is trying to do, is kind of trying to excise the cancer... From the vampire book. (laughs) No, guys, seriously, it's about vampires. Vampires, vampires. Brood, brood, brood. Because, you know, that's that's what your selling point is, right? Vampires. You're trying to frame it as being a vampire romance. When it is kind of that, but it is very much a cancer book also. It's very much. It's about death. It's about moms dying of cancer. It's about moms Mm -hmm. dying in general. Which is why this is a strange blurb. But I get it. From a marketing perspective, I get it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But brooding thoughts of her dying mother is like half a sentence. And much more of the book. <laughs> so, so much more of the book. Okay, so you've read this book before. Yes. I've also read this book before. I couldn't believe how much I had forgotten about it. I only really remembered that her mom had cancer. I thought mm-hmm. like maybe we never even saw her. Really? <laughs> yeah, like I couldn't remember wow. anything of it. I I probably read this back in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Maybe even in the late 90s? I don't mm-hmm. know. Like, um, mom had cancer. I remembered that like the two vampires were brothers and that like the bad one gets killed in the end. I couldn't mm-hmm. feel, I couldn't remember if Zoe became a vampire, if she wow. died because of the battle. I couldn't remember <laughs> if he died, if they both oh died. Gosh. I knew somebody died. <laughs> So it was very strange to be like, oh, the whole plot's about mom dying. This is so interesting to me because I also read it probably in the mid-thousands when I was doing my vampire binge. But I distinctly remember things about it. I distinctly remember that Simon dies at the end. I distinctly remember that Zoe does not. I distinctly remember that it is a lot about cancer. I distinctly remember hardening nipples. Oh my god. (laughs) But I remember those things because I was like a 12 year old and this book was not the girl bones the vampire book that I wanted it to be. It's not. But there's allegory. Oh yes. I mean, I feel like this book is a much more mature version of the girl bones the vampire (laughs) book. Yeah, there's distinctly a moment where it's like, so you mean fucking? Uh-huh, uh-huh. When they're on her couch, you're just like, uh huh. This is this is where you fuck. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. They kind of skip a part where they they talk about kissing a lot, and it's like, oh, okay, kissing. yeah, yeah. That was yeah. the yeah. So you remembered so much more. Just the those points, and and for very specific reasons. I mean. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't remember that Simon had perspective chapters at all. Yeah, Yeah, I remember hardening nipples. I didn't remember that either. Uh, Dear listeners, it's his hardening nipples, just in case you were curious. I had gotten that reversed, though. I thought maybe we were talking about Zoe's hardening (laughs) nipples, so I was sort of waiting for that. I was like, I remember this book being much more risque when I was, like, 12 years old than it is now. Right? Because, like, you don't expect hardening nipples, and you definitely don't expect the dude's nipples to harden. Scandalous. And you don't expect just, like, a general acknowledgement of Simon's overall, like, lust, and talking about her tits all the time. Okay, that I hated so much. So much. He's just obsessed with her fucking tits. I think that was kind of Klaus's, like, this is what guys think about, right, moment? You know, where she's like... 
boys think about tits, right? Yeah, her writing is also kind of really, like, I remember more recently, because we, you and I have, have done Blood and Chocolate in the past five years, and we're going to do it again. But, like, mm-hmm. there's a little bit at the end of my book here that has has an excerpt from Blood and Chocolate, which is probably why I, I thought Blood and Chocolate came before Alien Secrets. Uh-huh. Because it was like, this same same book, uh, The Silver Kiss with this at the back of it. And mm-hmm. it's just so male gazy. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like, I feel like she writes like a she thinks a dude would want her to write. I think with Blood and Chocolate, and I know we, we discussed it, we'll discuss it again. But I think with Blood and Chocolate, for me, it is male gazy in the sense that Vivian definitely sexualizes herself. But also... Vivian's a lot more of a sexual character, and I feel oh, like yeah. that's her and her her sexuality, and that's all, like, I'm oh, 100% goodness. okay with that. Well, I think it, it comes across in Simon as well, which is really where I was going with this, is that there's a lot in Simon that reads the same way Blood and Chocolate does. Okay. With his, like, overt anger and misogyny and his, like, rapey stalkery bullshit. Mm-hmm. And then, like, him constantly being like, she got real big titties. <laughs> she's so skinny, but she's got, like, big breasts. I think it's really interesting, though, because you can really feel a voice difference between um, Zoe and Vivian. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a huge difference there. Yeah. Like, Zoe is so much more reserved and unsure of herself and I think that's a really interesting thing in an author who writes very similar genres Mm -hmm. to be like your vampire book doesn't read the same as your werewolf yes and your characters don't read the same the way that some other some other authors do so I think that's really interesting it's really cool I do think that Simon definitely has some kind of bullshit vampire shit that he does yeah. I think what's really interesting, though, is that Zoe sort of falls for it, but also knows that she has things that she should be upset with him about. Yeah. I was very happy in the moments where, like, she, she ever saw through his shit. And it yes. wasn't in, like, a Twilighty, oh, I just can't be controlled kind of way. It was just, like, there's that first moment that makes him be like, Oh, she's interesting because she like broke my my His little mind moonlight control. eyes spell. Yeah, yeah. Or suddenly she got angry, and he's like, "That was cool." <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I can't remember the specific instance at this moment, but like in the in the times between like their visits, she'll be like, "Wait, he has a lot more information about me. Like he's been to my house, mm-hmm. um, like things that she sees and that she's like, wow, this is really creepy and not cool.'" Yeah, there was, like, her finding one of the studs from the leather jacket and, like, uh-huh. them being like, motherfucker, that was from his <laughs> jacket before I even met him, or so I yeah. thought. Well, and then there was something between their first visit when he comes into her house and the second right, one. So, that... so their thing was, like, he meets her at the park and she's just like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> and then he meets her again outside the bookstore when like some woman has been found murdered and he walks Mm -hmm. her home and between then she had found the little like stud on the porch and it was after that that second encounter that she goes it was kind of he never like hesitated it's almost like he knew how to get here that's impossible (laughs) and then she thinks about wait that was a little star stud on his jacket and this is a little star stud 
Mm-hmm. Fuck. I don't want to talk to him at all. And then he shows up at her house on Halloween. Oh, wait. No, she encounters him in the alleyway where he's like got blood and feathers and he's like eating a raw bird. <laughs> and then he shows up on Halloween. So they've seen each other four times, ultimately, when he's telling her on the fourth time about, I'm a vampire. Yeah, but there's definitely, I feel like Zoe has a little more agency, a little more awareness. And I think there's a considerable amount of romanticizing of this relationship. I feel like Zoe also has distinctly unromantic thoughts and unromantic moments with regard to Simon when he is not near her. And she even mentions at some point where she thinks about the ways in which it was easier for her to to think about this shit when he's not around and then when mm-hmm. he's around, she's just like, gosh, he's so pretty. Like, she acknowledges yeah, yeah. that. And I thought mm-hmm. that was a very interesting take and not something we really see a whole lot mm-hmm. of someone being like, when you're near me, I feel bad for you. But then when you're right. gone, I'm like, you're kind of an ass. Yeah, yeah. I think that that general, like, awareness of Simon as somebody who is genuinely, like, lonely, but also definitely playing her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She calls it like manipulative at one point in her inner monologue. Yeah. So I, I like the acknowledgement of both of those aspects. And I like that when you get to the end there and they've killed his brother and they spend a day separate, she comes to this conclusion where she's like, well, all that's left her for him now that he's accomplished his like centuries long task is pain so and he's really what just if? going to cause other people pain right so i am just going to kill him i'm just gonna go <laughs> into my shed and i'm gonna find some old like garden stakes i could kill him it was very much like all right um yeah i'm just gonna put the dog down yeah i have feelings for him but also he's just hurting he's in pain and he's gonna kill again ever that's for sure. He's going to be taking shit from people non-consensually because he took shit from me non-consensually constantly. Yes. Even when he was desperately trying to be good, he still <laughs> repeatedly mind-controlled like, her bro. into physical interactions. There was one point where he was like, I'm sorry, I made you kiss me. And she's like, what? You can't make anybody kiss you because this is before she knows he's a vampire, like 10 minutes mm-hmm. before. And it's just like, well, there was just, there was a moment and I thought it was going to be gone and I didn't want to risk that. I'm like, fuck you. Fuck you so hard. <laughs> I would have put that book down. Like there were three times I would have put this book down. I'm like mm-hmm. that was one of them where I'm just like, nope, mm-mm. Simon, you got to go. <laughs> yeah, this is, there are definitely moments where Simon is, is losing her, is losing her to very rational fears. And he's like, no, 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 no. And so he just mind controls her into staying. It's gross. It is such problems. And I'm glad that she, even though she's like, no, I don't want to kill him, that she ever even had those moments of being like, your your montage of mm-hmm. what can I find in the house that will murder this vampire? <laughs> yeah, because that's not something you see, right? Like, unless they're already vampire hunters, whatever. Girls yeah. don't typically, in these kinds of books, decide that they need to kill their vampire, especially for such, I don't want to say impersonal, but very big picture thing. Like, it is, it is micro in the sense that she... She's worried about his pain, but she's also like, he could go on hurting other people and I can't let that happen. 
and and her her like I'm not she's not trained as a vampire hunter. This is not something that's in her her life at all that she's had experience with. But she's no. like, I helped him kill his little brother. It's kind of my responsibility to take care of this one too. Right. I've killed one vampire. I can kill another one. Yeah, it's there's so many interesting things in this where I feel like even though this was one of the very first, like this is definitely pre Twilight. This is this around pre L J Smith. Is it pre Vampire Diaries? You said it was 1990, didn't you? So this says 91 to 92 were books one through four. So this was probably acquired shortly before the Vampire Diaries were acquired. Vampire Diaries, I think, was a commission, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, uh, I don't think it was Alloy Entertainment, but whatever became Alloy Entertainment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they were not affected by each other, but clearly there was like an interest in vampires for young adults. Uh, so I think that this, as far as I know, like I don't know of any other vampire young adults specifically before this. I, 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 I don't know. Right. So for something that kind of predates at least young adult tropey vampire stuff, I feel like it really looks at things in some interesting and unique ways that kind of like do a lot to undercut the romanticizing, even though that is, again, still definitely there. there. But like, it doesn't, it doesn't end with that. And it's not like about that. And there's such an interesting approach to the vampires. I know we're kind of like dancing around the the cancer and the mom death, which is kind of a huge part of this book to focus right. in on the vampire stuff. But but because it, it's so interesting culturally, like we, we are looking at this from 2018. Mm-hmm. So like we're looking at this story from potentially written in 1985, published in 1990, and it's the year 2018. And, and to see everything that came after it is... Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a unique perspective that anyone in the year 2018 can have, but but it's it's so different because we get to see all of the ways in which this like kind of set the bar on some tropes, used a bunch of tropes, subverted, not subverted. Well, if this book came out now, it would be subverting a bunch of tropes. Yeah, well, it's it's almost like the forerunners of the whole vampire romance thing. And this is also a thing with L.J. Smith, too, where, like, Vampire Diaries is one of the first Mm -hmm. YA vampire things, but it it does things in such a way as to feel like almost a parody of those things, except that they didn't exist yet. (laughs) Right? Like, what do you call that? But it's so interesting, especially with this one, to see... Mm-hmm. Again, it is a cancer book with vampires. The vampire part, even though it is based on Klaus's like 15-year-old vampire fanfic, <laughs> it's definitely refined in such a way that the vampirism is there as mostly allegory. Yeah, it's there to help us acknowledge death and, and mortality. And it, it feels like as as I did when I read this as a kid, I completely ignored all of that to be like hot vampire boy. <laughs> and so seeing stuff that comes later, it, it feels like they also ignored the stuff, the interesting stuff and were like hot vampire boy. I feel like if they'd made a movie of this, they would have gotten it so wrong. Um, I think it depends on who made it and when it was made, for sure. Because, like, if it was made during the height of things, like the Blood and Chocolate movie was, mm-hmm. it had just been so, so not right. We'd have had, like, a, a club scene. <laughs> Probably. A bunch of vampires. But, like, they wouldn't, it would have been, it would have been vampires and cancer as opposed to cancer and vampires, I think. Yes. 
Agreed. I definitely think the whole change and death and inevitability, all of those things would have gotten tossed out the cart for mm-hmm. that sweet, sweet hard nipples. <laughs> We'd have had definitely <laughs> close-ups where like someone would have to be like, all right, now be off screen and just blow on the actor's nipples. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> But so one of the things that I really like about this is the inherent wrongness of vampirism, Mm -hmm. where a lot of vampire books will just be like, oh, they're another species. And maybe they'll, somebody will like angst about being a natural. There'll be some like lip service to them being against the natural order, but it's not like a theme, right? Right. But in this, the idea of them being specifically stagnant creatures. Right. Like where he's a so hello listeners, there's Simon and he's a vampire and his older brother Christopher is also a vampire, but he became a vampire when he was like six. By and a he turned pedophile. Simon when he was like nineteen. Dude, we're gonna talk about that. Okay. Sorry, continue. that was an, that was another moment I was ready to fucking put that book down. Yeah. Um but why am I talking about that? I'm having alcohol. Um, <laughs> oh, right. So Christopher's like six. And even though he's older, he's still basically just like, I think the words even used are like, uh, maybe I will forever be um, like an unaware teenager or mm-hmm. self-absorbed teenager or something. And just as Christopher was forever a petulant child. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. that's, that's great. <laughs> it is. It's so interesting, though, because, like, so there's that comes about because Simon is reflecting on his the harm that he's caused. And, like, Zoe has helped him. And, like, towards the end of the book. Yes. And, and, like, Zoe has helped him to see that even though he's kind of been focused on how he causes a specific person pain when he, like, you know, kills them, mm-hmm. he's literally never considered. That there are people left behind right? who would like, miss come them. Come on, dude. You went through this, but your pain's the only pain that matters. Right. His pain and then specifically the pain of the person that he's killed. Like, he's so myopic that he doesn't consider people left behind. But yeah, so this this myopia is after he realizes that it exists for the first time in the year of our Lord, 1990. years later. <laughs> um, it is attributed to his stagnation as a person at, like, mm-hmm. 19. Mm-hmm. But I super love his backstory on what kind of 19-year-old he was. <laughs> like, just like a, a British dandy. Little fop. And I'm like, super gay. I'm like, you're definitely bisexual. Oh, I mean, he 100% no homo the shit out of that. Oh, right? He's like, I definitely was hoping to attract some rich gentleman to be my friend and patron. Oh, no. But then when he talks about how he woke up and, and like, he found the guy feeding on him, he was like, oh, I was not looking for that kind of attention. Was, this is not what I wanted. My manhood was so offended. My manhood was offended. Yes. He specifically, like, acknowledges his gay panic, right? Pretty much. He's like, wait, no, this is not what I wanted out of a rich patron. I'm like, yeah, you definitely were sucking dick, dude. Like, and having fun with that. But you were like, it's just between friends. And <laughs> fuck. We're just dandies. And now he's like this broody punk kid. I was oh, yeah. Like, yeah. like, you fucking British fop. I love it. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, no, so like the idea that these characters are a natural specifically because they don't change. Yeah. Um, I think it's a really interesting thing to do with vampires because it's it's like the idea that change is necessary to be a natural being is an yeah. idea that I really like. And all of the stuff that could hurt him, where it was like, the sun is natural and so it, it shuns me. Yes. And like, running water tries to float corpses to the top and eject us so it, it, it doesn't it rejects really hurt me. Yeah. yeah, and it's just like, oh, all of this natural stuff is just like, the fuck is you? Get out of here, kid. Yeah, yeah, you're not natural. And it, it's definitely like a good source of like his brooding, right? But then to kind of change that into the whole theme of like change, I think was a really interesting way to go with it. Mm-hmm. Like you've been saying with the whole like, the vampires are there to just remind us about like life and death and it happens and it's okay. And that cycle. is natural. Mm-hmm. Right? Death, natural. Living forever, not natural. <laughs> yeah. And it's death obviously 100% um but even like the idea that her friend is moving and that's the end of their relationship as it was but that but it's going to change forever yeah yeah and that that might it might be different it might not be what it was but it's still there and it had to change and that accepting that is healthier than ignoring it or pretending that it's not going to happen or pretending that it's it's a catastrophic terrible thing right so there's like the one moment towards the end so so zoe has a bunch of trouble with her friend lorraine who's who's moving suddenly um like her dad has to move to oregon he like flies out there immediately and she's got like two weeks maybe like all of this book takes place in two weeks which by the way i'm super happy it doesn't take place in like four days like they did a pretty (laughs) good job of spreading that out Oh, yeah, you really feel, like, the day-to-day pacing of it. Without it being, like, oh, my God, yes, I get it. You wake up, you don't eat breakfast. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it did a really good job. I was actually, from a a writer perspective, fascinated with the ways where it was, like, here's a scene. And the thing's happening. And rather than cut to a new scene, it's just, like, the, the conversation finishes. And then it's, like, when her father picked her up after school, and I was, like, Look how smoothly you just did that. You just Yeah, you just went to the next thing. Right? I'm like, that's incredible and I need to learn this. <laughs> I'm bad at that. <laughs> um, right. But so her friend Lorraine is, is leaving and it's gonna take like two weeks she's got left kind of thing and all this shit's happening around. But they they kind of have a little bit of tension because Zoe's like, uh, my mom's dying, but also you're moving. Meh, everything is changing. And then at the very end, like, they have a nice little sleepover. And she's sitting there. She's lying in bed. And she's looking down at her friend. And it's really sweet. She, like, sees the sun coming in. And, like, in her friend's, like, she's got, like, reddish hair. And she's like, oh, there's, like, some gold in your hair. Which I thought that was great, the imagery with gold versus, like, silver. Yeah, Um, yeah. But, like, and she sits there and pretends. She -hmm. pretends that this is just any other day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And... You really saw that she hadn't yet learned the lesson, really. Like, <laughs> she still needed to, to get there. She's learning it, but just, like, taking that kind of one last moment to be like, nope, this is the way it is. Because mm-hmm. she did that a lot. She would think about, like, oh, no, dad's in the kitchen. He's making dinner. Or mom's just out at a gallery thing, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Like, she did a lot of, and now I am a child. And it was kind of annoying because you're like, come on, kid. 
But, like, that's the story. Right. The story is she's like, I don't want it to change. I want to be five forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I thought there was, like, a really sweet and kind of, like, this book is very bittersweet, right? Because it's it's got a kind ending, but it is not a happy ending. Happy ending. Yeah. Kind is the best word for it. <laughs> Where she she sees Lorraine off and um, they say goodbye to each other and, and the car drives away and she says something like she looks back up at the house that will now forever be like the Lorraine's house that Lorraine house. used to live in. Yeah, Lorraine's yeah. old house and I'll never step foot in it again. With like oh. this phrasing that is really like gets you, right? Right, because it killed me because I've had that same feeling about either like my old houses or other people's houses where it's just Mm -hmm. like oh that hurts (laughs) and like the finality of the idea that you're never gonna go into this house again that was so vital to your life oh so there's this one little meme image that kills me that said that that like kind of captures this kind of thing too it was like one day you and your friends went out to play not knowing it would be the last time right yeah and i'm just like oh i'm gonna be sick (laughs) (laughs) right because you just one day you went out to play and you didn't know that was the last time you were gonna go out to play and it's Mm -hmm. like what yeah, so I mean, this book is very, like, broody, and there are some things that are, you know, this is very stereotypical, like, broody teenager stuff, but there are other mm-hmm. things that you're just like, just, <laughs> Like, even if you get a, fr- a new friend moved in there, even if you go into that house, it's not gonna be Lorraine's house. Right. Any anytime I get a line in a book that that is like, and this character never went to this place, they never saw this person again, even if it's just like a line in passing, like the finality of like, yeah, I've seen to the end of this person's life and they never do this thing again is, mm-hmm. is always just like a really tough thing to read through because like, okay, that's it. That is the end. <laughs> that's a wrap on this thing. <laughs> All right, that's a wrap. Yeah, yeah. there's... I feel like there's some some book out there I know I've read in the past couple of years where it was like someone being like, hey, I'll call you. And then being like, but he never would. Or he never did or something like that. And you're just like, <laughs> why? Like, ow, God. Leave me with my illusions. That door is just closed. It's It's mm-hmm. real rough. Which makes it interesting that we get the whole like, oh, I'll never enter Lorraine's old house again. But that the book, again, in kindness doesn't show us uh zoe's mother dying we don't have to suffer it Mm -hmm. (laughs) like we know it's coming and that's enough and it's like thank you for not needing us to see that (laughs) like yeah like you said you know it's coming this the whole book is about acknowledging that that is going to happen mm -hmm. and coming to a place where you are not fighting it yeah where it's like i know it's happening mom knows it's happening everyone stopped treating because i feel like they kind of treated her like a kid oh yeah for sure the stuff yeah like throughout it it's like oh you you make your mom use up her energy or whatever oh yeah they say some really hurtful things to her in the name of like protecting her Uh uh-huh super insensitive it's just like, guys, holy shit. Yeah, think about Jesus. What saying for five goddamn seconds. But like, they finally stop and think about it. And like, I've, I've been there. 
I remember, uh, again, regarding death, but it was like uh, an animal. It was a doggo. Mm-hmm. And like my father was like, oh, I thought you would have you know, fought us on it if I told you we were taking her to the vet. And I was just like, no, she's old. She was sick. Like, fuck you. I'm not, you know, three. And it's like, you just gotta let kids be there for this stuff. You can't just, like, hide it from them and pretend it's gonna be all good. Like, she has cancer. She can fight it for so long, but, like, maybe she will, maybe she won't. But if suddenly her mom was just dead and, like, they had done as good a job as they wanted to of protecting her and letting her get her mind off oh, things. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Then she'd be like, wait, I thought everything was okay. And that'd have been worse. Right? Or the idea that, like, I was fighting or, like, I wanted to see my mom and I never got to see her and then she died? Like, what right? the fuck? I would be so mad. And, like... That the dad thought she could just go hang out with Lorraine and have a good time. It's like, that's real sweet. And that's nice that you think that she can do that, but she can't. (laughs) I mean, personally, I recognize that there was some teenage, like, self-centeredness in it. But I do feel like a lot of the time there, Zoe was kind of justified. Like, if you've got a best friend, and yes, she is having to deal with suddenly having to move and and uproot her life. Like, that sucks. But also... Your best friend's mom is dying of cancer and you won't even let her vent? Like, what the fuck? God, I couldn't even imagine. Like, so first off, like, you've got a a best friend who who likes her mom and then her mom is dying. Like, come on. You know that there's gotta be something she needs to talk about. Right. Even if you can't really listen, just, like, sit there and let her cry and, like, put her back or something and be like, I love you. I'll be here for you. Like, ugh. And then, like, the the adults, like, shutting her out and Zoe being like, I'm not a kid. And they get some, like, development of that where the dad was like, well, we're trying to, we want you to not have to deal with this. We want you to try and be a kid and also. Right. Like, I think that's what he was trying to do there. Like, we don't want you to lose your childhood over it. That line was never said. Mm Mm-hmm. But, like, it's already gone, dude. (laughs) Think about. Like, it for two seconds, Dad, like, this girl is home alone, like, making uh-huh. her own dinner, going yeah. out to buy groceries. Slash like whether eating her own dinner. Right. Like, whether you want her to be an adult or not, you made her responsible for herself. It's nice that he acknowledges it, too. Like, mm-hmm. Definitely the first time I read this, uh, I did not pick up on that he's distinctly himself English. Mm-hmm. Like, there's several references to, like, oh, when so-and-so visited you know, England or Europe or something, or, oh, your grandparents live in Europe, etc. And he, the way he speaks, even though I know all of them have a kind of weird speech pattern, Mm -hmm. he's got a more English speech pattern. Okay. So for half the book, I'm thinking, well, maybe this is just how the British do it. They don't want to share their pain. (laughs) And they're just like, no, child, I'll be here with the mother. You stay home and take care of yourself. You're what, 16, 17? You're fine. (laughs) When I was your age. (laughs) So that was maybe a cultural thing. But like, then they explain Mm -hmm. later on that it's no, we wanted you to be a kid. It's like, right. Leaving the kid home alone does not equal being child. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And yeah, I I appreciate that there was some like a give and take on that in both sides where like the parents were like, okay, here, we're not trying to be dicks, even though it really sounds like we are. We acknowledge we were dicks. (laughs) We're trying to protect you from seeing like 
seeing your mother at her worst yeah. moments. I liked that the mom, that like the dad mentioned, like, please just give her her dignity. She doesn't want you to see her like this. Yeah. And, and the mom later being like, I didn't want this to be like subsuming all of your previous oh memories my of God. me. God, that was so rough. Yeah. Yeah. Conversations between her and her mom, especially towards the end, were just when they like. they started talking. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. It's a real rough book. It really is. And I appreciate the vampire stuff being there to kind of pull you out of that <laughs> because there are definitely some like cancer mom passages where you're just like, God. <laughs> and the mom being like, hey, you're going to need each other. And in Zoe's head, she's like, when I'm gone. Yeah, I'll yeah. spill that in for you. <laughs> no, yeah, just like the whole thing where the mom was like, like you said, I didn't want like sick me to be what you remembered. Mm-hmm. That's just so, yeah. And it was really interesting to me when I read the introduction where she actually talks about like this is based on nothing she's ever experienced. Like nobody she's really? ever known has died of cancer. I was what? like, well, you could have fooled me. Seriously. Yeah, I mean, as somebody who was kind of, like, there while their grandmother was dying of cancer, like, this felt very real. That's, like, I guess that's a really good example of, like, because people are like, oh, write what you know, but hey. (laughs) But yeah, just all of those conversations felt very real. Yes, they did. They were were brutal. Yeah, the cancer mom part of this is real rough. (laughs) (laughs) What's brutal? Cancer mom part. What's like outwardly supposed to be brutal? Dead bodies. (laughs) (laughs) Like he could have been a figment of her fucking imagination if it weren't for Lorraine commenting about like, so I know a hickey when I see one. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. And the mom never meets him. Nobody meets him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, he's definitely there to help her cope, right? Because the whole thing mm-hmm. is that she feels invisible. Nobody will talk to her about her mother's death. And so they bond over their willingness to talk about death. And that sounds super goth. <laughs> <laughs> we met in a park at midnight and we and bonded we over the death. fact that death was a natural part of the world that neither is coming for us all my mother is dying of cancer my mother is dead 300 years ago my brother killed her i know i know that seems so like incomparable (laughs) but they do indeed bond over their dead mothers or dying Mm -hmm. mothers Mm-hmm. but yeah i really liked the scene where they go together to the hospital yeah mom's asleep Yeah, I think that was one of my favorite scenes, and I'm not really sure why, except that the idea of Simon accompanying her on this task and being, like, willing to do it. And that she wasn't like, no. (laughs) Yeah, no, that she's like, I need the support. Yeah, because nobody else is given. Right, maybe my mom will find you interesting. Yes, I love that, where she's like, in another lifetime, she could have really enjoyed him. Yeah. And then the conversation that they have about, like, the obvious thing, right? Like, can you turn my mom into a vampire? I loved his response. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. much. Because he's just like, well, you don't change, so I'm going to assume she'll just be in pain forever. Because the cancer will be there. It won't spread, but she'll be in this amount of pain. You want me to do that? Right? And he's so offended. Because he's like, you... Because he knows. and, And he's acknowledged, like... 
this is unnatural. You want me to do this to somebody else? And I think that is really part of why it's very realistic that... It's very realistic in this vampire novel. It's very (laughs) realistic that she never asks him to change her. Like, she thinks about, like, oh, I could give myself to him as a companion. And I'm just like, don't you do it, girl. Don't you fucking do it. Because I couldn't remember. But ultimately, she knows that's not going to help him. He's going to always have this trouble. And then she's like, I couldn't do what he does. And my mom would be like, oh, that's such a boring ass life. You never get to see the sun. And yeah, I think it really helped her not romanticize being a vampire. Yeah, no, it's a really good path for her emotionally, right? Because she wakes Mm -hmm. up the next day and she's like, well, I got to put this dude down. (laughs) So... My my vampire boyfriend is uh, in pain. <laughs> to to he's work. fulfilled his life's purpose. The only yeah. thing he's going to do is wander around for the rest of his time, unhappy and miserable. I need to kill him. That she goes from that to the acknowledgement that oh god, no, I can't do that. I can't shoot yes. my dog. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I'm gonna kill him. No, I can't kill him. And then she goes to meet him. I love it. And by this point, he is like. I don't have anything else to live for. I, have I need done to just let thing. go. Yeah, and I, I really like that Zoe didn't have to become a murderer in that way and mm-hmm. like inflict violence upon him because she was never violent in the whole thing. Even though she was like, I helped kill uh, Christopher, she was not like, and then I stabbed him. She's like, I'm going to taunt this child-looking thing and be mean and cruel to him the way I might want to be to an annoying little six-year-old. But he's not <laughs> six, so I can be. Right. And she's like, come get your bear, neener, neener, neener. But, like, she never inflicts violence. I think maybe the worst she does is she picks up a tree branch and is, like, hitting him while oh, he's, yeah. like, choking Simon. And Simon's like, you can't kill me like this. <laughs> so it's nice she didn't have to become a murderer. It's it's nice in that respect, and then it's also nice that Simon doesn't become something that has to be murdered. Yeah. Simon comes to the same conclusion she does, but for himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's good agency on his part. Yeah, and it, it, it doesn't erase it. It's Simon accepting responsibility in a way and acknowledging that he is dangerous himself kind of mm-hmm. that he can only cause more men pain like him don't ever do but yeah so they get they get back together at the end and he tells her this like i just want you to stay with me right in the same way that she just kind of needed him there when they went to the hospital or it's just like be my support for this and the way that she realizes that her mother needs her as like yes. i just need somebody to be with me while i die yeah. Yeah, where she's, like, holding him and, like, they kiss a little bit, but, like, it's not, like, a make-out session. It's just, like, this, like, connection. Yeah, it's just, like, we have to pass, like, six hours till dawn, so I guess we'll kiss sometime. Yeah, on this park bench where we met. It's cute, right? All right, but, so, I had a couple things where I was, like, unsure about stuff. Uh-huh. Um, I was not sure if I, like, which way I went, because I liked some things, but I also didn't like some things about it. Mm-hmm. and. And Simon's death is one of those, "Eh, I'm not sure it is what it is. Uh But Simon with his whole like, oh, I just had to go willingly. And then he could just fade away in the sunlight. Unlike Mm -hmm. mostly when you're a vampire and you start to burn. Like, because we saw he had like a bad burn on his hand when Uh he kind of was like zonk and then had a little 
there. But like, <laughs> I guess in the same way that like Zoe didn't have to become a murderer and inflict violence, he didn't have to like have violence inflicted upon him. But I kind of really was sitting here waiting for like my dramatic screaming, roiling, boiling <laughs> vamp dude moment. <laughs> Like, I wanted, like, a Tamlin moment with just, like, Zoe holding on to her boyfriend as he turns into, like, a half-missed man and being like, no, I've got you, I'll hold you in the sunlight so you can die, bro. God. It's nicer on her that that didn't happen. Yeah. (laughs) Because, like, her life would not have been the same. She would, no. It was very nice. It was kind. As you said, the end is very kind. We don't see the mom die. We we don't see Simon... (laughs) boil and burn it's very kind (laughs) i mean that girl went home and threw up like three times after she saw christopher fall into a pit and impale himself on spikes like if she had been there while simon was boiling to death that's not something Uh you come back from no no and i think that probably klaus knew this (laughs) (laughs) right no and i mean it's it's thematically appropriate right like simon accepts that he needs to change and he did he is rewarded for his willingness yes. to not selfishly cling to life as an unnatural being. Yeah. And that he doesn't have to, like, die in pain. And I think, really, honestly, this whole idea of, like, fighting death and dying in pain, like, that's mm-hmm. what we're afraid of. We're afraid of dying in pain. If death was just gentle, mm-hmm. if we all knew that even if, like, say, even if you were shot horribly or something like that, mm-hmm. if we all knew all of your, your synapses and whatever would turn off and it would just be fine and gentle. Like, no one would fear death beyond the existential. I mean, I, the existential is a pretty big part. Even in this book, they're like, I hope I come back as something because I really don't want to be nothing. Right, where the mom's like, I hope I'm a cat. Like, the existential dread being kind of the only fear would be a really nice only thing to be afraid of, <laughs> as opposed to, what if I die horribly and I'm in pain, no one's around? Like, because there's a thing about, like, Everyone dies alone. Even if you're surrounded by people, mm-hmm. like no one's feeling what you're feeling and going through what you're going through. Like, and if you're in pain, that just sounds so much worse. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's see. Uh, I super love. All right, so things I super like. I love that Simon dies in the end. I was just like, good, <laughs> good goodbye. Like you did your thing. It's good that you did your thing. Please leave this girl alone. No, again, I feel like this is the most, like, emotionally mature version of this story, right? Correct. He fucking moves on in the end, and that's thematically appropriate, and... Mm-hmm. Change. Yeah, no. I I also like that, even if 12-year-old me was very upset. <laughs> 12-year-old you is, like, throwing the book, being like, they don't just kiss in the end, you oh, yeah. She doesn't. He doesn't make her a vampire. What the fuck is this? this is not what i signed up for let's see okay so something that we haven't touched on that Mm -hmm. i liked because this book made me really uncomfortable okay there was like actually some horror going on and Mm -hmm. it really felt like especially in the beginning like the first 50 to 100 pages were really rough and hard to get through 
it, it did a really good job of making Simon not feel human. Like, even if he felt weird about killing people some of the time, he still did drink from people and, like, admitted that he'd killed people before. Like, there's that scene with the, like, young thugs in the mm-hmm. the parking lot or whatever, and he's, like, hurting them. And they're, they're teenagers. Like, I get it. They're, like, all challenging him and he's got to get all, like, <laughs> silly children. But they're teenagers. Like, just being so fucking, like, mean to them. <laughs> uh-huh. And like and like drinking from this one kid. I forget whoever he was, but the the one where he's like, "Oh, that kid's." Well, first off, he says he doesn't smoke grass; he smokes green. And I'm like, "Yeah, I don't know what that I don't, means." <laughs> he's talked about like du- dusters being a problem, so I'm like, Are you, "Do you mean meth?" But like, I in the year 2018, green green is just marijuana. Like it's the same yeah, thing. I'm like, Exactly. He doesn't smoke weed. He smokes green. Oh, right. Shit. That's so. He smoked cannabis. Fuck. Right. Like, yeah. I read that and I just assumed that that meant something different when this was written or when Net Curtis class was a teenager. Like. Yeah. Yeah. And like the only way I was able to figure it out was like I said, like oh, at least like dusters or dustheads or something like that. And I'm just like, we really need to talk about old phrases for drugs. <laughs> yeah. But, so he was being like violent to a teenage drug addict, mm-hmm. which I just I couldn't sympathize with Simon on that one. Mm-hmm. And so I very much believed that he could have killed Zoe when they were fucking slash drinking blood on Well, yeah, and he says it. Like, he straight up says, like, he pulls himself away, but then he tries to go back for more, and Zoe... I can stop anytime I want to. Right, and so they're interrupted by the phone, I think, and Zoe Uh jumps up and she gets it. Yeah, no, like, they... I don't think they both acknowledge it. Like, I think Simon acknowledges that he was going back for more, and... He thinks that she was wise to him and got up to answer the phone on purpose. I think she's Zoe. Like, oh, I gotta go get that. <laughs> yeah, and Zoe, on the other hand, is I think just sort of like, oh yeah, he can stop wherever he wants. He's fine. But Simon was definitely like, yeah, no, I would have finished that drink. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm just gonna put down a little bit of sip. There we go. Mm-hmm. Right, which again is really interesting because like I have control, but also he doesn't. <laughs> like he does it, and even regardless of how he feels about this girl, like he would have done it. <laughs> uh huh. And then he'd have felt like shit <laughs> for the rest of his life. There was one moment uh, after that scene where there was a really beautiful, horrible line about how he would spend more time missing her than loving her or something like that. Yeah. Where it's just like, that's a terrifying thought. And I think that moment there was like one of those things where it's like, you would have killed her and you would have guilted yourself for centuries. Right. And I think even in the context of him just thinking like, I could care about her for the span of like her natural life. And still I would go on and on and on and think about her longer than I knew her. And that was a really interesting concept Mm -hmm. that never, again, I never feel like I see or hadn't seen at least Mm because I'm sure it's out there, but hadn't seen in other young adult like vampire books or even really vampire books even like Anne Rice books and stuff like they'll like obsess over people but they don't think about the fact like they never draw attention to it of being like well Lestat you're like sad about this thing but like how long did you really know your human friend 
Yeah. So you knew each other for like five years. You're gonna you're gonna wankst about it for three hundred. <laughs> he mentions too about how oh I could tell her it's not so bad to miss a mother. You know, you only have your lifetime, which is much smaller. I've missed my mother for 300 years. Like, that's a very long time to miss a mother. And he's like, I should not do that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she did a very good job of giving him, like, alien thought patterns. Yeah, and it it felt very horrifying. Um, A a lot of his thoughts, a lot of his uh, point of view on was just really uncomfortable to read and felt very very horror angled and just like <laughs> so the the prequel story i read a little bit of it before i started this the book proper but yeah in that one he was just murdering all over the place he was just yeah. drink 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 all right i'm done with this one drink 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 oh my god Same. and yeah, so it's, um, even though the book is very clear that he's killed people and that he still will yeah. kill people, even though he's trying not to. Like, to he, see it. Yeah, the the prequel being like, yeah, he, he feels bad about it, but he keeps doing it. Right, and there's so much, like, there's so much in that that just, like, really relates to a lot of the shit going on these days. <laughs> You're just like, I can change, I can change, but I won't. But I want to, but I won't. Yeah, and just the acknowledgement that you, again, you can feel bad about doing a thing. You can feel bad about the person that you're doing it to. Um, But like this failure to acknowledge that there are other people outside mm-hmm. of yourself and this person. The The ultimate consequence for that, for him knowing that continuing that lifestyle and him choosing to just stop voluntarily is as redeeming as you can get for that kind of character right Mm -hmm. so i didn't read the story the short stories because they weren't included in mine obviously Mm -hmm. i feel uh equally gross about the fact that like from what i have seen like he starts to feel he can love a thing when he loves an animal and Mm -hmm. like i get it i love animals but there's something really terrible about a rich white boy not being able to care about something other than himself mm-hmm. until he cares about an animal. <laughs> You're just like that. That makes sense. Well, and I think with the with the cat specifically, it's a case of the cat's persistence, which I think kind of runs in parallel to Zoe a little bit, where. Simon kind of chooses not to engage with people unless they kind of persistently engage with him. Mm. Um, to where, where the cat she just kind of keeps running into him. Yeah, the idea that in the story, at least, the cat kind of just makes Simon its pet and gives him love. <laughs> um, and then Excuse he kind me. of yes, excellent. Yes, that he kind of begrudgingly returns, and the idea that. He um, did not think that he could be loved after his family died until Cat. Um, but also the acknowledgement that he was not giving anybody else a chance to. <laughs> murder, murder. Yeah, why just murder, murder, me? murder. murder. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you don't have, you have friends. five seconds of not murdering them? <laughs> that doesn't build love. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so that, that whole thing about like oh this cat's the only one who loves me it's like well 
there are reasons for that sport. <laughs> Champ. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but just sort of also the persistence of Zoe in, in so far as she doesn't immediately fall for his hypnotizing bullshit. Like, she's pissed off about other shit. <laughs> she's like, you don't get to sneak up on me and be this random dude in a fucking park at midnight or whatever and, like, touch my hand. Fuck you. Oh, yeah. He's definitely, like, super handsy and mm-hmm. forward, putting it lightly. Which was a lot of my problem with the book in general and him was just how, like, the rapey overtones, the the entitled bullshit, the hate on women. Like, Christopher is a terrible little creature. Mm-hmm. And he's only going after women and he's doing it kind of as like a repetition of his, the, the murder he did to his mother 300 years ago when mm-hmm. she like rebuffed his offer of be a vampire. Mm-hmm. There's the one scene where like, first off, Simon doesn't stop Christopher from killing this lady when he yeah. sees it. And that pissed me off. But Christopher, like, drains her, and he's, like, mean about it, and it just seemed like he was probably being extra cruel. And then he fucking kicks the body. (laughs) And I was just like, are you serious? You little fucking pissant? So there's just, there's not a lot of love for women in this book. Even though the mom is, like, ostensibly the focal point, and Mm -hmm. Zoe is, like, Simon's focal point, like... Mm -hmm. Most of the tertiary women in this book are uh, not given a lot of the benefit of the doubt. And frankly, I was surprised that Lorraine and Zoe came back around together and stuff. That Zoe was ever able to be like, shit, I've been a selfish jerk. And I've been saying that she's been a selfish jerk. We're both Uh going through our own shit. I was like, hey. (laughs) Because like almost every woman that gets mentioned is like, oh, they're a bitch. Or... Oh, they're annoying. Or let's just murder you. Yeah, I think definitely um, for the boys, they treated the women as like hate receptacles or at best victims. I do appreciate that Lorraine wasn't vilified. I needed that. (laughs) All the other crap that was going on, I needed Lorraine and Zoe to be okay. Yeah. And and the whole arc of their relationship as as far as the two of them kind of growing as characters. That was all pretty good. Yeah. Uh so I mentioned very briefly Christopher here just a minute ago. Uh-huh. Let's talk about that backstory. Yeah. Alright. I don't remember the fucking pedophilia. She's very careful to not explicitly say it. Right. She never explicitly says, and he's a pedophile. But, like, there's one line about how, like, uh, so Chris, hello audience, Christopher is taken away by, like, an older dude who, like, lavished attention upon this six-year-old. And the dad was, like, so innocent and, you know, believing in the good of people that he couldn't possibly think of what an older man would want with a young child. Yes. That line specifically. (gasps) Well, even before, like, that was like, okay, yeah, you're you're confirming it. But even before then, it was very strange, because it was like, oh, he just paid so much attention to him, and, mm-hmm. like, he sat on his lap, and he called him his little, his little bat, in German. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just like, this is gross, this is super gross. And then, like, 
oh, he's talking to, um, I forget his full name, but it was like something Von Grab. I'm like, Grab's terrible name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, Christopher is like in just his nightdress standing outside Von mm-hmm. Grab's room and they're chatting and a servant sees them. And then the dude, the vampire is like, so I guess we're going. Yeah. <laughs> like, they disappear in the night and it's just like, you're gross, you're gross as fuck, holy shit, you definitely do horrible shit. Where even if he doesn't do anything actively sexual to this child, mm-hmm. the vampirism in this book is such stand-in for sex mm-hmm. that, like, it's when Simon wakes up and Von Grab is, like, feeding on him and he's just like, my young manhood is offended, no yeah. homo, back the fuck off. <laughs> you're like, so you wake up being raped by a dude. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what the fuck happened to your six-year-old brother? Okay, you can't say- Like, I was ready to put this book down. Yeah, that's not something that I remembered either, but I feel like, I mean, that's fair, right? Like, why else do you have child vampires, right? right. Yeah, it was unexpectedly horrific text of- the yeah. subtext of vampire children, but I kind of- I kind of respected that. I was like, all right, yeah- <laughs> Why else do you fucking, why else would a grown adult make a child a vampire? Like, obviously, right? Yeah, because, like, I could, I never, I didn't remember any of that. Mm-hmm. I didn't remember this backstory. I had no idea. And I feel like it it would have been less horrific as a story in general if, say, uh, a teenage boy or girl, it still would have been horrifying, uh, had made the six-year-old into a vampire. But instead, it was a grown-ass adult man. Yep. And I'm just like, that's terrifying. And this was really hurt, like, good on the horror here. (laughs) Like, uh, can't recommend it to people if they, like, don't want to read that, like, one chapter about it. Or maybe just skip that chapter. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it doesn't have a lot to do with the plot because Christopher is just evil. Right, but okay, so Christopher's evil. He's a fucking little asshole. And he clearly brought his brother in as a victim for his own abuser, um, knowing what was going to fucking happen to him. Yeah, he says, I brought you in and I knew that he was going to do this to you. And also I knew that you were probably my best chance to escape because I need a guardian. I need a guardian. It's like, you little asshole, you did this to your brother. Like you assisted in your brother's uh, rape. Awesome. Yeah. But, like, it's one of those situations of you're a six-year-old who is perpetually in a state of living with your abuser Mm -hmm. for at least, so he was, like, a baby when Christopher was taken, so at least the last, like, 17, 18 years of this. And, like, he said, oh, uh, Von Grab can't feed on another vampire. And it's like, all right, so clearly at some point, very quickly, he stopped feeding on him. But yeah, even if he only, only fed on him once and turned him into a vampire, you're spending 17, 18 years of your life living with this man and like needing to go do shit for this man to continue all of this crap. Like, I get why Christopher is fucked up. Oh, yeah. Like, the whole idea of no changing and shit like that. He's perpetually a six-year-old. Yeah, he's a child. And it's like, yes, you're evil, and you absolutely deserve to be put down. But holy shit, do I feel bad for you. 
Well, yeah, and I think that that, again, is a good part of the, like, stagnation point, right? Where they're like, Christopher is evil, Christopher is calculating, like, Christopher definitely Mm -hmm. has agency, right? But also, he's a child, he's been a child for 300 years, he'll never be, like, he'll never get beyond a child's temperament. Yep. Which was discussed a little bit with Anne Rice and Claudia. I remember that. And mm-hmm. being equally horrified. Yeah. And they, they talk about like how his, his body will like whisper things that he will never know <gasps> because he will never physically get older. And you could see that in the scene where he's killing that woman. Where you're just like, ah, you're gross. Yeah, Christopher is like a tragic figure in that he was abused for 19 years and uh-huh. forced to stay a child for 300 years. But also, like, yeah, evil. There's nothing you can evil. do about this kid but fucking kill him. Yeah, like there's no there's no coming back from this. Like, you can't change. What, what changed you into this was an act so heinous that, like, you're not even really a kid anymore. You're not that child. He can't grow. He can't get past it, you know? No. Ultimately, Simon's really fucking lucky that Mm -hmm. he did get away when he did. Because it sounds like he was only held captive by his brother after the change for, like, a week or so. When, like, they shared a victim. When he finally gave in and shit. Otherwise, he'd have been subjected to the same kind of bullshit. And also, I mean, Simon, 19, is is a super young age to stagnate. And obviously that caused him problems. But 19 is not not six. (laughs) Yeah, it's not six. Six. Like, and because again, you said Chris, Christopher mentioned I need a guardian and stuff like that mm-hmm. so that people will take me seriously. Yeah. Simon didn't need that. You know, he can move through the world just fine. So obviously, like, even at, at 19, Simon was afforded a lot of emotional maturity that Christopher mm-hmm. will never get. Yeah. And it's interesting that his, his revenge path is not about... I must find my brother and he turned me into a vampire that it's no, no. My brother told me that he killed our mother. Mm, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to kill him because he fucking killed an innocent woman that meant something to me because I'm a teenager and let's worry about someone else on revenge as opposed to I've been a vampire for 300 years. Fuck you. I mean, he does say that it's revenge for himself and his mother. It's revenge. And then again, it's also like, put the dog down. Yeah. Yeah. He had to go. I did want to mention, from a meta perspective now, the pros. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it was really different and unique. And I was very struck by some of the imagery. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it was overly different and trying way too hard to be unique. And it would, it would, like, really pull me out of it. Did you find that as well? Taking this in the, the backlist part of this podcast where yeah. we get to kind of follow the author as they write more things, I definitely think that this feels like Klaus's first book. Agreed. And it was really good as a first book. Oh, no, no, it's really good. There's, like we said, we talked about the lines where it's just like, ow. <laughs> But I think by the time that we get to Blood and Chocolate, I found there to be very few faults. More polished later on. Um, I'll be really intrigued to see how Alien Secrets, the second I know. That's the unknown, right? None of us. That's the one that time forgot. (laughs) No one ever mentions it. No. 
I don't know if I have ever met anyone who has read it. I'm sure I have, but no one's ever talked about it. To no. Me. Yeah, no, I know that any time that I would have read all of Klaus's stuff, I was never able to find Alien Secrets, so. Yeah, no, and I looked for it. Yeah. I mean, you know, before Amazon. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the in-between stage. Yeah, because, like, it'll have a second book, and I think that one came out in 93, and we were saying that... Blood and Chocolate was like 97, maybe. Yeah. So it doesn't, it will still have that that sophomore book kind of thing. Uh But at the same time, it sounds like she'll have had a little bit more time than than normal. Usually people these days are like, get that second book out in the second year or or two years later kind of thing, as opposed to she had at least three years between them. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be really interesting. This was like a really stellar first book as far as that goes. Oh yeah, for sure. I think two... Like, she's better at setting and descriptions, like, just including them casually, than I have ever been. (laughs) (laughs) She just goes to the next scene. She'll just set the setting. She'll just describe someone. Just And it's just so natural. So there's a moment in the Halloween scene where she opens the door, you know, and he's like, let me in. And there's just a, a short little description of him, of being like, he was tall and wore this. And it doesn't seem like... So now I'm going to take a moment to remind you what he looks like and yeah. describe his latest fashion of the day. Like, it was just so natural. It was just this nice little reminder of this is Simon and this is what he looks like. And I'm like, why am I mad at all of this? And she's so good at it. <laughs> like I said, like the first like 50 to 100 pages were really rough as far as like the horror and the misogyny and shit like that. Mm-hmm. And the last 100 pages were just like, <laughs> done. <laughs> Do you have any further discussions on this? Or do we feel we've mostly... No, I think we've covered it. I think, um, I mean, in conclusion, right, like, ultimately, I think this book is better than it was the first time I read it as, like, a kid, right? Because, like, as a kid, I was definitely, like, woo, Simon, hard nipples, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And that was more important to me than all of this, like, cancer mom allegory stuff. But yeah, no, I think going back to it, reading it again, kind of getting that stuff and and getting to see all of the nuance that Klaus puts into her vampires and the themes in the book. I think that this holds up, if not is better upon rereading. Yeah, I would agree. It it holds up, especially if you're looking at it going, okay, this was a book from, you know, the very early 90s. And so you go, all right, you know, they've got landmines and then hot dogs cost 99 cents. Yeah, As the bus like, is oh. like 50 cents. Right. I'm like, you guys. And there's one where she's like, overpriced something or others. And I'm like, doubtful. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a bunch of like, in the prose, there's a bunch of like, ableism and classes and like everything is crazy this crazy that Mm -hmm. and that was really like bothersome Mm -hmm. um so yeah if someone reads it i mean granted anyone who's listened to this has been completely spoiled Mm -hmm. but um if someone reads it knowing going in that it's like this is a product of its times and it's still pretty good even for that but there Mm -hmm. is a bunch of shit going on in the prose itself like but yeah it's a better read as a adult than as a kid. I think it's definitely worth a revisit, for sure. Yeah. I'm glad to have reread it. Yeah, definitely. Me too. I definitely would not have without this, so. Yeah, I, so I used to have this book, and I know I mentioned early on that, like, I picked it up for, like, four or five bucks. I got rid of it in one of my many 
jaunts being moving or homeless Mm -hmm. because I just assumed I would never read it again. Yeah. I kept my copy of Blood and Chocolate, but I didn't think I would need it. Yeah. So, if I had not read any of Annette Curtis' class before, I definitely would not be tapping out. Yeah, no, for sure. I definitely want to read more stuff, especially knowing that she writes about werewolves and aliens, question mark. (laughs) That will be interesting, and uh, hopefully Alien's Secret is is okay. I'm expecting to not like it as much as Silver Kiss, Mm -hmm. but maybe I'll like it as much. Maybe I'll like it more. Who knows? Yeah, we will see. I am am very curious. All right, well, this was... This was this was a good fun time, mm-hmm. and I look forward to to our continuing adventures. Yeah, in in the backlist of Annette Curtis Klaus. Yeah, no, me too. And people can find us at. Uh, I'm gonna let you say it because I say it wrong. You do say it wrong. It's Patreon.com/slash backlist and chill. Yep, and you can find us on Twitter at backlist podcast and i think that's it that's that's all where we're at right yeah no that's it that's so simple Mm -hmm. that's great all right and then if they wanted to follow either of us on twitter i'm at olivia hennis h-e-n-n-i-s and i'm at endless underscore run this has been backlist and chill thanks for joining us 